Let us remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're going to read just a portion of our text, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29 through verse 37. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then God gave this test then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would understand the heart of John the Baptist, that he was not developing his own following, but he was a witness to the light who is coming into the world, the Lord Jesus himself. And his desire was to lead his followers to follow the Lord Jesus. And he was content and happy to spend himself in that. Let us be like John the Baptist in seeking such uh, that we would not develop a following for our church or ourselves. We would lead people to follow the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Everybody loves a winner. Now, this is why I haven't brought up football season yet in Tennessee, which is the state I grew up in. I began to think I'm going to follow Virginia teams, so let's turn to Virginia Tech. Oh, only to be dissatisfied. And yesterday, yesterday, I, I thought, okay, I'm in Virginia now. Tech is not, forgive me, Tech people. I'm going to root for your rival. Virginia, they're good this year. So I recorded the Virginia game and watched it. Hmm. You know, maybe what I should do is root for Alabama or something like that. Matter of fact, I turned to that game. I, I thought, I'm going to root for a winner. And I turned and Alabama was behind. Then I fell asleep. And when I woke up, they were crushing uh, their opponent. So I, and I remember Clemson, Clemson's quarterback and coach, they, they have a, a, a resounding faith in them. They're a most likable team. I had no connection with them until they beat Alabama last year and heard the testimonies of some who were involved in that team. And I thought, I'm going to root for Clemson. Woo! We won! Everybody loves a winner. And it's easy for us to kind of transpose that into our faith and our church, isn't it? We begin to think in terms of following. You know, preachers are not immune to this. 
We begin to think about uh, the, the size, the success in the world's terms of ministry in terms of the size and success of a congregation. The Bible always keeps us in check when we do that because we come to passages like this with John the Baptist, John the Presbyterian baptizer. He was not concerned with developing a following for himself. He was leading his followers to follow Jesus. And it first began in his own heart and mind, in his own worship of Christ, in his own recognition of Christ, his own receiving Christ, his own believing in Christ. The first heading in your bulletin is, is really pretty clunky, but it reflects the text. John, as a witness to Christ, recognized, received, believed in, and proclaimed Jesus. You can recognize the sequence of this if you look back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it says in verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. His calling was that people would believe in Christ. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So he is witness. Last week we did part A of this message, really, and this is part B. Last week we looked at who John was not. He was not the light. He was witness to the light. And then this passage goes on to say about Jesus, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. But John recognized Jesus. He said when Jesus was passing by, Behold, look. I, I, I like behold better than look. You can look at something out of curiosity. When you pass a, a wreck on the road, don't you? You look to see. It's not the same as what John was saying. John was worshiping Christ when he was saying, Look. He was expressing a love and adoration. It's like, Here he is. I want you to see him come and and see the one that I have come to know and receive and believe in. The world didn't recognize him, but John the Baptist recognized him. But you can recognize somebody without receiving them. You can recognize, well, you can recognize that Trump is president of the United States without receiving him as president of the United States. You can do the same. Boy, this is a really awkward parallel to compare Trump to the Lord Jesus. But you can recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and Lord and not receive him yourself. This passage goes on. The world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I ask you, do you recognize the Lord Jesus Christ? You're here in church. You're worshiping him. We've just went through this whole subject in our inquirers class, talking about who Jesus is and what he did. You can believe all these things about Jesus and recognize him without receiving him. This passage goes on to say, Yet to all who received him, 
to those who believed in his name. To receive him is to believe in him, to trust in him, to uh, whatever the circumstance, to know who he is, and you put your trust in him so that you receive him as your savior and you trust him in whatever the circumstance is. It was a great blessing for me this week when I was talking with somebody that had the privilege years ago of being a part of their coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've met over time, and, and he said, I've begun to think when things happen in my life, instead of, God, why are you doing this to me? To think, God, what is it that you would teach me in this? God, how would I respond How would you want me to respond in this circumstance? Oh, what a joy that is. That is trusting. That is to those who receive him, who believe in his name. You see, John the Baptist was there. As witness to Christ, he wasn't just saying, there he is over there. He was saying, behold. In a sense, it's like, here's the object of my faith and trust. Behold. Take it in. It's like the Pray for, for Me campaign. The see God more clearly, savor him more fully, and share him more freely. I don't know how many of you are involved. A lot of you signed up for the Pray for Me campaign as we pray for our young people growing up uh, in our church. I believe that this, this uh, book, this prayer book, is so much more than just listing what to pray for. It, it, it calls you to think in your life. What is God doing that you would see his hand at work and that you would savor it, you would appreciate it, you would love him for it. And then you would want to share him. That's what John the Baptist uh, was doing. So as witness, he recognized, received, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore he proclaimed him with a kind of love and adoration and worship. And he did it so deliberately that it moved his disciples to follow Jesus. Now, the first section, verses 29 and following, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The primary commentary that I'm using is by D.A. Carson. I should have told you that from the start uh, so that you could know where I'm getting some of my feeding uh, on this. And Carson acknowledges that the disciples over and over again would recognize Jesus but not know the, the fullness, the depth of what they were recognizing. John the Baptist later inquired, are you really the one that we were waiting for or should we look for someone else? And when at the beginning he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, When John recognized this about Jesus, one, it was of the Holy Spirit. He didn't understand the fullness of what he was saying. Two, he had some notion that Jesus was the the Christ, the Messiah. He was announcing him and that the Christ would be the lamb who would, would, would somehow make atonement for sin. But John couldn't have filled out the details of the arrest, the flogging, the suffering, the crucifixion, the death of Christ and then the resurrection of Christ. He couldn't have filled out those details. Those were yet to be filled out, but for what he knew, the Holy Spirit was at work in him, and he recognized Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those who knew the Old Testament would have understood 
John's proclamation. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you've got to realize how silly this would sound. It would be like saying, behold, the gerbil of God. There's no context for that. But if you know the Old Testament, you know the sacrificial system, you know the way people would, would be a t- have their sins forgiven by God, it was through God accepting a substitute in their place. And that substitute, they did it week after week after week in the Old Testament because those sacrifices couldn't actually accomplish what they were signifying. They pointed to Christ who would accomplish it. So to say the Lamb of God would have recalled to mind the Passover Lamb, would have called the the, the guilt offerings, the sin offerings, all the different sacrifices of the Old Testament are fulfilled in this one. And John is just filled with worship for him, although he doesn't know the fullness of what he's proclaiming. He says, this is the one I meant when I said, the man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, different translations translate that in varied ways. The ESV has something like ranks ahead of me or ranks before me. Now, the man who comes after me ranks before me. And I got curious. I went back to the Greek uh, to check it all out. And it was interesting to see in the Greek that it's a difficult uh, expression to translate. So I put the word-for-word translation in your uh, outlines, in your bulletin of this verse. After me comes a man who becomes before me because he was first. Now, if all your translations followed it, that word for word, you'd end up just dying trying to understand any of it. But sometimes it's interesting to see the elements that the different translations try to express. There's this play on words of, he comes after me, but he's before me. He's after, he comes after me in time, but he's before me in rank, in importance, in position. He's before me. That's why the NIV says, has he surpasses me. The ESV, he's at ranks, is it ranks ahead of me or ranks before me? It's that sense. Because he was, and I was expecting the, the before me to be right there in the Greek. It's not. It's, he was protos. He was first. That's just categorical. John is recognizing in Jesus what John the disciple, the apostle, writes in this gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a recognition on John the Baptist's part that this is God come to us. John goes on to say, I I myself did not know him. Carson points out that doesn't mean he didn't know him at all. But it's like, I didn't know who he really was until I saw the Holy Spirit coming down on him. John could have said, I knew he was my cousin, our mothers are cousins. They, they met. I knew his special birth, the, the story of his miraculous birth. I kind of thought that he'd be the one I'd be announcing, but I did not realize until God, through the Holy Spirit, told me, the one that you see the Holy Spirit descending upon is the one you're coming to announce. And he descended upon Jesus, and I realized this is God the Son. God from all eternity who was first, who created everything, has now come, become flesh and dwells among us. How much is in this uh, recognition of John as he uh, receives Jesus in this way and puts his trust in him? 
So John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Wow. With, with that kind of witness, with that kind of testimony, what would you expect John's disciples to do? Those who would follow John would follow John's witness through John to the one he's testifying about. The next day, the passage goes on in verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. He says this to his two disciples because he wants to make sure they see Jesus, that they recognize Jesus. His desire is that they would receive Jesus. His desire is that they would put their trust in Jesus. He's pointing it out to two of his disciples. And what happens? When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. John's disciples at John's behest began to lead John to follow Jesus. That word behest, I know, is not a word we use a lot. At John's prompting, at John's... I was looking for a word, but behest has that sense of, this is what John wanted. At his invitation, at his call, his heart is in this, to lead his followers to follow Jesus. And they did follow Jesus. Now, I don't believe that this is the time that Jesus goes to them and says, follow me. And from that point on, they left their jobs, they left their nets, they left their tax tables, they left all to follow Jesus and spent three years with him. This predates that. This is their first introduction. John is the one pointing Jesus out to them, and they follow Jesus in that daily way, in a more ordinary way. They are not yet becoming the twelve Jesus will confirm that call. Carson uh, points out that it makes a whole lot more sense that they already knew Jesus. They'd already been introduced. They'd already been impressed. They'd already been amazed. They'd already heard the testimony of John the Baptist. So that when Jesus comes to them and they're at their nets, he says, come, follow me. They just leave everything and follow Jesus. They're not following a stranger. They're following one that they have come to know through these kinds of events. They spend the day with Jesus here. So um, the two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? It's kind of ordinary daily life stuff. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? What would you say if Jesus turned around to you and said, What do you want? Wouldn't you come up with a bigger question than that? And I think this is kind of introductory. This is spur of the moment. John has said, behold, the Lamb of God. They, they want to follow him. They want to see more about him. It's like you see a celebrity out downtown, and you're just curious. You just start following him. And the celebrity turns around to you and says, what do you want? <laughs> I, I didn't mean to be stalking you. So they, come, they, they don't ask the big theological question. Lord, tell us who you are and what you're here for, and, and uh, just explain everything to us. Give us the meaning of life. They went for what was a more ordinary answer. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come, 
and you will see. Can you imagine? Take all politics, all, all the partisanship, all the divide out so that I can still use the president as an illustration. Suppose you're downtown Richmond and the president noticed you. You would notice him. You'd recognize him, wouldn't you? But he turns around and notices you. And you say, President, where are you staying? He says, come, and you'll see. Can, can you catch the sense of privilege in that? Jesus is including them. He's calling them to spend the day with him. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th the hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said. Here we move into the third dynamic of this passage. First is John's witness to Christ. As John recognizes, receives, and believes in him and proclaims him. Second is John leads his disciples to follow Christ. And then John's disciples call others to come and see Jesus. It's just contagious. See, that's where we fit in. Can you see that? Uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. We don't know who the other one was. There were two, remember, sitting there? Some think, I think it's probably pretty likely that the other one was John, the disciple, the apostle, who wrote this gospel. John rarely refers to himself directly. He's called, he will call himself the one that Jesus loved because he's amazed that Jesus would love and include him. He was the youngest of the disciples. How would he know the details of this? It sounds so firsthand, doesn't it? So I think the author of this gospel was that other disciple, and he knew what Andrew did first. And he went and found Peter, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Peter. His name was Simon. He, said, he looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Later, we find in the other Gospels, when Jesus uh, said to Peter, after Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and your name will be called Rock. That's what Peter means. That's what Cephas means, is rock, this foundation. Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. So uh, here this passage, John is saying that Jesus said to him when he first met, you'll be called Cephas. I wonder if Simon thought, really? Never heard that one. And then later when he says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, now, now I'm changing your name. You're going to be my rock. Not you personally. Later, Peter told Jesus, don't go to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's not Peter personally. It was his confession you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is the rock of the church. The next day, this is where it really gets interesting to me. It's all interesting to me. I should never say that about the Bible. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Most of our translations lean in this direction, that it was Jesus who decided to, to leave for Galilee, to go to Galilee. And Jesus found Philip. D.A. Carson pointed out something that I checked out, and, and once I saw it, it began to grip me. 
that the verse actually says, I put this note in, in your bulletins too so you could see it because so it doesn't just glaze over your head. Um, the word-for-word -word translation for this verse is, the next day he decided to go into Galilee and found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. The next day he, it doesn't say Jesus in the Greek, it's the next day he decided to go into Galilee. And Jesus said to him, that leaves it open as to who that he is that decided to go. And I think that there's a lot of sense in it that it was Andrew. See, look how the passage unfolds. Uh, back in verse 41, it says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. And Jesus talks to Simon. The next day, he, Andrew, decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. And they're all from the same territory. They knew each other. They grew up in the same town. So he went and he found Philip. And he said, and, and finding Philip, Jesus, that's why it says Jesus in the Greek at this point. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Can you see the sense of the passage? If this is the right understanding, I mean, we don't have to be dogmatic about it. It might have been Jesus that decided to go to Galilee. But, but it looks to me like it was Andrew. Andrew went and found Peter. Andrew went and found Philip. Philip went and found Nathaniel. The whole point in this passage is that it's contagious. As John the Baptist bore witness to Christ and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. His disciples leave him and follow Jesus. And they begin to call others to follow Jesus. And it goes even to the next generation where uh, Philip, who was brought by Andrew, who was told by John, Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. That's the fourth generation. Wouldn't it be something if we had a spiritual uh, ancestry.com and you could find out who it was that led who to Christ, that led who, 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 that came all the way down to where somebody told you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be something to be able to trace that family tree spiritually all the way back to the one who told the other, who told the other, who told the other, recognize Jesus. Receive him. Believe in him. Because he is the light of the world. And he is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. That chain goes on and on and on. And in the last couple of weeks, just delights for me in reading this, this passage. Shannon and Evan Early are, are pursuing the mission field. And Shannon wrote to me asking for a reference. And said... Isn't it really something? It's, you can just hear the way Shannon, uh, she's so exuberant. Like, Isn't it really something that uh, you, you ended up, you had the privilege of, of leading uh, Evan to, to Christ and, and you married us and, and now we're asking for a reference to the mission field. It's like, wow, and I'm, I'm reading this and thinking, God, you're still at work in this way. Uh, we uh, went and, and visited, Mary and I visited this week, uh, John and Chelsea Schwent with the birth of their daughter uh, Molly and uh, and in that context 
totally unsolicited. It was Brian, Brian and Chelsea. Brian said to me, you know, you're really the one that led me to Christ at Sycamore. I didn't know that. Chelsea, you know, they found the church and they came and they uh, came to profess real faith. I didn't know that there was a dynamic there. And I'm reading this and thinking, this should be our greatest, greatest delight. In the choir's class, we had the privilege of going over the gospel again. If I would describe the heart that I would want Sycamore to maintain for the next millennium, it would be that our, our love for Jesus Christ would be so much that it would be contagious that we'd be pointing others to follow him. Not developing our following, but would follow him. That's the delight of our lives. Now, Jesus picks up here with Nathaniel, and he says, um, when Nathaniel's coming, Nathaniel's a skeptic. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel asked, come and see, come and see. It's like the Pray For Me campaign. See God more clearly, savor him more fully, share him more freely. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He went from skeptic to wow. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. Now, why was Nathanael so impressed by that? Now, let's go back and pretend you, you meet the president on the streets of Richmond. The president turns around and, and says, Bill Edmonds, what do you want? And uh, Bill says, well, you're the president. Are you, where, are you, where are you staying? And the president said, Bill, I know you. I know where you live. <laughs> In our political environment, that's probably a threat. <laughs> uh, you don't say, you, it's like, I know you. Jesus, our, our Lord, knows us inside and out. The Bible tells us he calls us by name. And that's the sense that Nathaniel is getting when he comes to meet Jesus, he thinks that he's unimportant. He's just one in the crowd, and he is looking at this one who's the rising celebrity. He's the one that John the Baptist is promoting. And Jesus says, I know you inside and out. I know you by name. I saw you. You're impressed with that? You're going to see greater things than this. The disciples of Jesus that spent three years with him saw the miracles. They saw his suffering. They saw his death. They saw his resurrection from the dead. And they saw his ascension into heaven. The gates of heaven opened up to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had that to go out and proclaim to the world. And so do we. What a privilege. That's the mission we have as a church, not to develop our following, but to lead any who would follow us and listen to us to lead them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have in our families, our extended families, many who do not know you, whether they are children, young children, grown children, siblings, parents, 
We have many who do not know you. And we pray for them. We pray that they would see in us the witness of John the Baptist, that we would be by our lives, in addition to our words, proclaiming, Behold the Lamb of God who took away our sins and takes away the sins of the world for all who would put their hope and trust in him. That they would see the difference that it makes in our lives. And they would see a love in our lives that is the fruit of your love for us while we were yet sinners. And Father, we pray that you would touch them and give them a faith that they would turn and recognize and receive and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray beyond our, our families to our, our friends and our neighborhoods for those who seem to show no interest or, the, or even hostility. We pray that we would have the desire that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would proclaim and present him by word and deed and that you would do the work by your spirit to touch their hearts. We pray that you would, uh, would help us as a church not to see uh, other churches as rivals, but churches that truly recognize Jesus and follow him, but as family, and that we would promote together the gospel of Jesus so that many, many, many in our uh, community would be witnessed to, would see the light that we point to in Christ and that you would give them faith and draw them to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.